So hello everyone, uh, welcome to um, the Avalon Academy and the Avalon podcast. Um, today I have very special guests um, on this program who will share with you um, a little bit about their work, who they are and our collaboration. So just for my part, I've met Jeremy, I think, two years ago, and we have already worked together briefly last year during the Avalon Rose Hot Grove. Um, we had a wonderful shamanic journey together within the group, um, explored the Grail Path of Avalon and the Fairy Accord as well. So without further ado, um, I'll let Jeremy introduce himself to you. Hello, and thank you for having me on day. It's uh, lovely to be here. I'm Jeremy. I'm a Nordic and Celtic shaman. Uh, I follow the path of the old gods and the ancestors of England and Northern Europe, and I use the runes in every aspect of my work. I've been walking this path now for about, about 18 years, and along that path, I met Kelly in America. Thank you so oh, much well. for sharing. Kelly, do you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah, absolutely. So as Jeremy met, mentioned, he and I met, I guess for me, it's been about seven or eight years now. And um, this <clears throat> whole experience within the Nordic path and the North path opened to me through the runes being the keys. The keys were the runes that opened up the galactic gateways for myself. So I come from a very cosmic perspective, um, looking through the sands of time and the threads, the cosmic threads. So Jeremy and I really have this great dynamic and scenario that works well between him anchoring in those beautiful stories of the North and my perception from more of the higher realm, if you will. So thank you, Dea, for having us both on. Thank you so much for joining. I'm really excited uh, for us to um, you know, share our offerings with the world and uh, join in collaboration. Um, now, I really am interested in, because most of my listeners uh, don't know much uh, about the Nordic path or the runic path, uh, either of those. Jeremy, how did you um, stumble upon this journey? How, how did you encounter the runes? So, so it's very interesting. So I was uh, taken as a child to the west coast of Wales from London by my father. And it was in the west coast of Wales that I really discovered about the druids, the runes and stuff like that within the myths and languages and got my interest in that. As a kid at school, I would use the runes to write secret codes to other people, not knowing their magic or their medicine. And then that I left that world for a good 20 years. And then it came back to me when I lost everything, then spirit came back to me. And that was about, well, it started about when I was 37. I'm 58 now. So it's about 21 years ago. And bit by bit, but it wasn't until about 18 years ago, I said, okay, I can't avoid it. And then I started diving deep into the, the mysteries and the stories. And I just started remembering things. I just can remember the stories. I can remember the dates of kings, the succession of kings. And it was like, I was meant to do this. And now I'm honored to be a storyteller. And that's where the real magic is, to tell the stories, to open the doorways to people, to help them touch the magic of Avalon or pass across the Vale. And I'm also honored to guide people around the land of Avalon because that land is what's really magic. The town's a lovely place, but I've got to live there for many years. Now I live within half hour's drive of it, but I'm still connected to it every day. I go out and I look across the levels to the tour and I connect with that energy still. 
that, that is something we share in understanding. I think that um, our connection and time spent on the land is, is, is very valuable when we work in, in any kind of uh, magical tradition. Actually, maybe more important than um, reading books or studying within a confines of our um, four-walled homes. And um, the other things that we share um, in understanding is the power of stories. And you are a storyteller, and I, I love listening to um, your stories, how they are told, and just what really the message that comes through so purely and so clearly. Um, so, you know, a passive storyteller is, is very unique on its, uh, on its own. And I think um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, your understanding of how storytelling, um, you know, what can it do for us today in this world for those who are listening and are, you know, maybe questioning that, um, that form of delivery. You know, so it's only in the modern world, storytelling is movies or Netflix nowadays, but a thousand years ago, that was the fireside and to be a storyteller was a great gift. And within those stories, were hidden all the memories, all the magic, all the wisdom of our ancestors. And those stories are meant to be riddles that we have to solve and to go back to the archetypes, to the stories, to understand who we are in our world. And it makes no difference whether it's the Middle Ages or the modern 21st century. The essence of the story of Gawain and the Green Knight is the same. I'm a stickler for, you can tell the story any way you like, but the point of the story must always be the same. The moral in the story must even be the same. And I've been on a podcast ranting about how Gawain and the Green Knight was misread, misinterpreted in the modern film, and it lost the magic and it lost the whole point of what they were trying to say and what they were trying to show to the children who would listen to that story. So I, it's really important for me that the story gets told and the characters aren't changed in a drastic way. They can be changed slightly, but to make somebody who is a hero a coward, that's wrong. To make somebody who was a man a woman or a woman a man, that's wrong, because we have to honor the archetype roles within the story. And I believe, in fact, telling of the stories within what we do in the initiation actually prepares people for the journey that they go on. And each time they hear one of those stories, they're changed afterwards these stories are so profound it makes us start thinking differently and that's what stories do they can actually transform us into somebody different if we understand it or we go away and we seek the riddles within the town exactly that's very powerful isn't it and I, I i really strongly agree about the moral of the story it's okay to you know um, move around things a little bit um, but I think sometimes it's done for the sake of entertainment and then that's again not necessarily worth it um, and sometimes it's done maliciously right there are stories today and I'm specifically referring to films really uh, yeah. where where the moral of the story is twisted changed uh, entirely or just enough um, to serve a lot darker agenda. So actually telling older stories, telling true stories, um, and that is, obviously carries um, the archetypal wisdom is, is more important today than ever because we have real competition there with uh, television. And, uh, and then, of course, we have to think about the younger generations who 
know these um, films as their only and first encounter of, uh, for example, what you use, The Green Knight or, or any uh, Grail story, in, whether it's about Avalon or other lands. Well, there, there was a real king called Edmund Ironside who's portrayed in the modern Viking series as a weakling sick coward. But actually, he's one of the greatest kings that ever ruled the Saxon kingdom. And he was one of the first kings of England. And his burial is in Glastonbury Abbey. And I've gone there for years. And where the burial place of King Arthur is, just to look across the wall, and there is a stone sarcophagus of a great, huge man. But I didn't even know that was Edmund Einstein. So not and the Vikings portraying this way, but we're more likely to honour King Arthur, who I believed exists, but his legend has changed. But right next to him is actually a real hero existed who did great things, who's been forgotten in the time of his, the mists of history and time. Oh, wow. I didn't even know this. <laughs> about the viking kings um and him i know the story was changed but i didn't know he's actually yeah. there in glastonbury so that's something to uh to look out for next time we visit um and you mentioned king arthur's story and that is actually a storyline i i do work with also and um not only i feel that the story of uh king arthur has been changed a lot um but um and his archetype is betrayed um almost uh, heroically uh, as someone who um, succeeded in his quest. So where do you stand on the Arcturian quest? So that's a, that's a really interesting, because I think the Arthurian story is different to every single person. It's like the hero's journey is different for every single person. Uh, through my research and my own study, I believe King Arthur was a character called Gruith who married Arwen, the daughter of an Irish king called Brocken, and her brother was Necton, and he was the Merlin of Britain at that time. Those three characters and a Celtic Romano-Britain warrior who was known as the Bear, that's what Arthur means, a beautiful princess and the greatest druid in the land at the time, they fit that story perfectly. The stories that come on later, what we call the, the Arthurian romances, are a combination of the old Celtic tales, the Odinic story of Odin putting a sword in the tree Bramstock, and only the true hero can, or the true king can draw it. And then we have the knight chivalry, which is the Normans. So the Arthurian story was a great way of uniting Britain and Northern Europe. You had the Saxons, the Celts and the Normans, and they all sort of couldn't stand each other. But then we have this Arthurian story that brings everybody together. They all have their magic, their character, their part of it that united a kingdom. And the energy for me simply in the Arthurian story is you either get it or you don't, but we in the land are one. The king and the land is one. The king represents us, the sovereignty of the land, the sovereignty of us is all the same thing. And each one of us in the story, whether it's Arthur, whether it's Merlin, Guinevere, Lancelot, uh, Gawain, all these characters are vitally important to the tale, but not one of them achieves the grail. It is Percival, the fool, who retrieves the grail and he gives it back because he doesn't know what it is. And then we have uh, Galahad, Lancelot's son, and he extremes the grail and he dies in the moment of accepting it because it's so wonderful. But I don't think any single one of those characters is any more or less important than the others. 
we are mankind and as long as one of us reaches the ground that's all that matters and yeah that is the lesson of the the arcturian stories union is uniting uh, upon this land um and any other really that's very powerful um so how does um because you obviously you work with the runes as well yeah um and um the runes play um, a focal point in anything that you do really um or, or at least they always have a place um so how do the runes show up in this um upcoming offering which we're going to talk about in a bit so i use the runes and i teach the runes in the oven but predominantly i use the runes myself in absolutely everything and when we do the initiation the initiation is passing the seven guardians of the grail whatever the grail is and to enter avalon it was just a storytelling, but it ended up being an initiation because of what the stories did. So I tell certain stories that wake certain parts and we face each of the guardians. We face two guardians in the first part. And as we go past each guardian, they, the people who attend, the students, will have to face a, a, a test, a vision within the vision quest. And I have no idea where we go. I ask the runes. I converse with spirit. What do these students need to see at this point? And I suppose that's one of my gifts where people use runes different way. I use it for taking people on visions to help. I'm just channeling what spirit wants them to do to change and to understand this riddle. And as every time we do it, you think, well, is it going to work out right? It's just what spirit does and it works for everybody and it brings resolution and understanding. So the journeys we go on, if you ask me what journey do we go on in the first class? I have no idea until I cast the runes and then the runes will tell us. I think that's one of the most beautiful parts. I mean, I've been in however many initiations and hear a story. It is continuing to be so much more magical than the first time I heard it. But it's the depth of those journeys and the runes that really allow us to dive deeper. So the stories continue to unveil the magic, the threads are always woven in, but truly the runes are what opens the doorways to the deeper aspects. Yeah, and it is a pleasure to be able to combine the runes and the Celtic stories, because my ultimate goal is to combine the magic of the red and the white dragons together. Those who live in Avalon, they do the, the parade every year with the red and white dragons up to the tour for Beltane, but the red dragon is the Celts, the Druids but they never talk about the Saxons and the white dragon and the heroes and Odin, they get forgotten. So it's important when we're speaking the runic language now, English comes from the runes and we're honoring all our ancestors. What I believe totally in my path, we have to honor three things. One, the land we're working on, wherever it is in the world. Secondly, our own personal gods, because they're individual to us. And thirdly, our ancestors, whether we like them or not. And that's what we try to connect people to through the initiation. I'm very excited for this initiation to be on the platform now even more than before. And I have experienced um, these storytellings and how the story unfolds um, through the runes. And it's almost like uh, the runes act as a compass, um, a language of the gods, so to speak, communicating to us. Um, and it's it's a very, very profound experience really to go through these initiations, through the stories. Um, now, your offering, your initiation is called um, the Seven Grail. Is that is that correct? 
Seven guardians of the grail. Seven, seven guardians of the grail. So are we going to be introduced to the seven guardians? So the, the seven guardians are different things. This all comes back from a Cretian de Troyes book, who's a, a bard from the, the 12th century, the 1150s, who wrote a book called The Elucidacian. And it's he, he started it and it was continued by others. I have some different views on that. I actually think it was written by Hildegard of Bingen and continued by Cretien de Troyes, but that's just my own personal opinion. But as they do the test of entering Avalon, they have to pass the seven guardians of the Grail. And they're things like the struggle, the strife, the hound, the swans. They're, they're riddles as guardians, you know, and it's, as we get to, there's a part further on when you get virtually get into the growl and then you have to face the lament. And what is lament? The things you regret in your life. And then they have to go deep into understanding what that is. And people have said to me, what? What, not all of us can get the grail. And I went, no, not all of us can. But we're all important to the story. You know, Merlin, the wisest one in the whole story, he doesn't get the grail, but he holds the threads together. He spins the magic. Morgana, who's portrayed in some of the Arthurian stories as evil and other stories as wonderful. She's a, a sorceress and energy of the land. She doesn't get the grail. The Lady of the Lake, she doesn't get the grail. But these characters are the archetypes that we aspire to, that we relate to magic, myth and legend, and they are important to this. So even us, we may teach a million people and none of them may get the growl, but it's not the attaining of the growl that's the magic. It's the search for it. It's the quest to go on the journey, to walk the steps, to follow in the footsteps of our ancestors. Like you're sharing that, Jeremy, yes, the journey is the most important and um, the destination can always change. Um, I really like the name also, just to uh, go back to that a little bit because of the number seven is the seven initiatory gateways. And I consider personally seven a fairy number. Yeah. And um, one of the things that um, we've gone into last year at Avalon Rose Hardgrove, which shows up um, as strongly in this initiation that you two are offering is the fairy accord. So for those who don't know what the fairy accord is, or maybe have an idea, but haven't heard um, your experience of it, um, would you like to share a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, I mean, I'd heard of the fairy accord before and I understood, but it wasn't until lockdown that I went deep into the studies and different books and different people to understand different terminologies, different variations. But it's not until you read the stories and you tell the stories back, you start understanding where it went wrong. The fairy accord in the very simple, what do we regard as fairies? What do we regard as the fae? The fair sex is another word, the feminine or the divine feminine, the children of the forest. The breaking of the fairy accord was when the maidens of the wells, the nine maidens that come up in Norse mythology, Celtic mythology, the guardians of the waters, and their job was to be hospitable and to look after and heal. It is when the Amangon, the Christian king, decided that this was evil, this was dark, and they drove that divine feminine away from their healing crafts into the forests to become witches, to become hags, to become sirens and nymphs and everything around the divine feminine 
their their beauty, their sexuality, their wisdom, their healing was changed to be a negative aspect of the divine feminine. And the healing of the fairy accord is us trying to get back in communication with divine masculine and feminine and understanding. And a lot of people, when we look at the Arthurian romances and we talk about damsels in distress, it doesn't make the divine feminine weak, but the knight's quest is to go and repair the damage that Amangon and his knights did. And there's two different family bloodlines within the Cretian story. You have the proud clan and you have the rich clan. So these are the children of the the rape, basically, of the divine feminine, the fairy kind. Uh, you have the rich company that are the sons and daughters of those knights who followed the Christian path and wanted to own land, wanted to own objects, wanted to have more money and power. And then you have the proud company who are proud of their fairy ancestry. They know they're still connected, but they hide in the shadows and still do their work. They're half-breeds. And there's one of those characters called Blair Blaharis. Actually, in the old Welsh, it translates as the hairy fairy. And he's taken to the court of Arthur because Gawain meets him and he's a noble knight, but his magic is storytelling. And he goes to the court of Camelot and he tells the fairy stories. And that enhances that energy in the knights to go on a quest to repair this damage. And I believe, I don't think I can personally heal the fairy accord. I don't think women can heal the fairy accord, but I think we can start weaving the fibers back together. And eventually over generations, it may be healed, but for it to be healed, those masculine divine males who broke it in the first place have to accept the damage they did. You know, and it's about accepting responsibility. We know this is done. And I also believe the breaking of the fairy accord is not so much about us as humans, but also as mankind with Mother Earth. Yeah. Understanding the breaking of the fairy accord is our contract with the Earth and understanding that we are the Earth. And when we understand, just like the Arthurian story, we and the land are one. That's the echoing of the fairy accord again. Yeah, indeed. I always seen the fairy accord as a threefold agreement, as the, the fey element, um, that's the human element, as the, and the creature element, the earth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there, there were several breakings of the accord, and what you listed is, is a very prominent one and a very good example. Um, but I do believe that we can, I think maybe not in our lifetime, but maybe in the next one, maybe in our children's or grandchildren's lifetime, we can heal the accord. Um, but, um, but today what we can do, um, and I'll ask you uh, that question as well, but personally, I feel what we can do is heal the accord within ourselves. So as you said, the relationship between uh, our feminine and masculine and our relationship with nature itself right. and our relationship with the land can be healed. We can, we can work on those things. We have the power to do those. And our relationship to uh, the Fae, because in um, your work in, in the Northern Gateway, you work with um, the Fae as well, quite um, closely in, in some occasions and some of the journeys. Our relationship and our connection and our understanding of each other actually uh, holds tremendous teachings and value, even just the experience instead of mending this accord. So I, I've always seen the accord as a as, um, as not, not a book of agreements uh, that was signed, but more of a tapestry. Um, 
And um, there is uh, in, in the Norse tradition is something called the web of weird. So I was wondering if you, any, either of you would like to share a little bit about that, because I really feel that the web of weird and the accord is, is connected. Yeah, well, that's more, we're going to let Kelly answer that question. Okay. Of weird, it's um, absolutely connected. And I see those as what I refer to as the cosmic threads. It's the, it's the memory of all time, right? It's through the Nornians. In, in the Norse mythology, they're the ones that weave our past, present, our future. And so the web of weird holds the memories. And when we dive deeply into these stories and into our ancestral threads through these works, we are healing our threads. We are mending forwards and backwards. And so as you spoke of the fact that we may not witness that healing of the fairy record in this moment, we know that every time we dive deeper it's like, um, you know, it's like Jeremy recently referenced a, you know, a, a musical instrument. I think it was the harp with the wind blowing through it and the wind would be strumming those strings on its own. Same thing when we do the work, the weaving of the weird, those webs are being strummed to the future, working through the past. So it's our or log, you know, it's, it's what, what we can truly tap into. It's one of my, I mean, it's where I, that's where I thrive is in, in that aspect. That's my favorite space to be in. Yeah, and, and the web of weird, we work, and actually more so in recent times, the Norns. For those of you who don't know what the Norns are, they are the, the equivalent to the fates from uh, Greek mythology, but they're three maidens of much knowing. Uh, one is called Erd, Vedandian, Skuld, past, present, and future. And these divine feminine beings are above the laws of the God. They are the ones who weave the web of weird for each of us. And the more I study my runic path, the more they come forward. I do believe actually working with the runes is start of the rebalancing of the fairy cord within us because Odin hung on the tree for nine days and fell down and he found the runes. He didn't know what they meant. So he had to give himself over to Freya because she knew what they were. She was the goddess of all this magic. And he said, will you teach me? And she said, on one condition you live and dress as a woman for one year. So Odin agreed. And to read the runes, you have to accept, for a man, you have to accept the sovereignty of the divine feminine. And likewise, when women work with them, they have that divine intuition that can read them, but they have to give over to the wisdom of Odin, the divine father. And it's a test, and so they're the perfect balance between male and female. When we make the world, nine worlds that come together, we lay the sticks down in a symbol called the Hellruna. Every rune exists within that fabric. That fabric is the symbol of the Norns. It's the web of weird, and it exists in the mandala from India. It's a cosmic language. All of these threads come together, and the symbol is the perfect example of the web of weird. It's a little bit of like everything that that very cliche saying that everything is connected and that indeed yep. is true. All traditions have a you know a common thread. All understandings have a common thread. They might not necessarily mean the same thing, or they might not be interpreted the same way, uh, but ultimately they are they are meeting somewhere at the center point. Um, you know, for some people it's the world tree, for others it's a wheel. Um, but either way. Um, I'd like to just uh, for you to share a little bit um, about how um, the initiation will uh, flow and um, how can people join the initiation? Do you want to do that, Kels? 
Sure. So um, we gather over a seven week, seven session period. And it is uh, every Monday we begin at 11 a.m. Pacific time, which is 7 p.m. Uh, in the UK. And really it's this weaving of a very, very sacred container. So when we first come together, each participant will be um, pulling a rune. Basically, it'll be the energy that those individuals individually will work with throughout the entire time of being together. And it's always a really profound weaving. Um, so often Inga's the rune of the fairy, um, the fairy cord actually comes in to play for a lot of the participants, but, but regardless, and then within that, we dive deeply within the sharing and the specific guardians that we're facing through the stories that Jeremy speaks to. So each week, it's very, very different. And each week, the riddles continue to be um, shown to us. And then we have a, a telegram thread where we share our experiences, um, both after or during from a particular journey, but then also through the weeks as the days go by, you know, there's things that come in. It's like all of a sudden there's an awareness or, oh, I get that riddle now, or, you know, there's, so there's this dialogue and exchange and depth that happens that really makes the container extraordinarily sacred. Yeah. And, just... yeah and during the session as well, you'll get to have a half hour one-to-one -one with me and Kelly I'll give you a room reading or whatever, and then Kelly will do her work as well. Uh, also, one of the sessions, we do a live guided tour around Avalon and we end up in the orchards of Avalon and I take him on a vision with the, with me doing the narrative of me filming around, walking around Avalon. So people who have never been there can get to share the magic as we go along. We also include an opportunity for the participants to um, participate around our tribal fire. It's part of the Northern Gateway membership. And once a month we gather where we get an opportunity to be in each other's company and kind of share about what's happening in our worlds and the world stage. And then of course, perhaps hear another story or a tale or what have you through Jeremy's lens and a journey. So it's just a way for it to introduce you to the community as a whole, but most importantly, it's the magic of the North. Yeah, and it is initiation. A lot of the people who do the course, once they finish the course, are craving for more knowledge to go deeper, to go deeper. And some of them choose to do the runes. Some of them choose to go on to the shamanic path. It's, it's what, and that's how it's become an initiation. At first, it was just going to be a storytelling, but people have changed. And you're giving them a thirst for the magic and the magic of Avalon. And whether that Avalon is in Glastonbury, whether that Avalon is in your heart, it's an energy we can all embrace and we can share. We can all be that beacon of light for Avalon. You know, the Mother Earth is round. There are many other places and each one of those places is sacred. We are lucky and blessed to be connected with Glastonbury in England, but there are other land guardians and there are other places where Mother Nature can give that energy back as well. I think it's also the uh, the process or method of the questing and testing and the challenges that uh, people face at this stage. And I, I very much work like this also. I, I focus a lot on elemental challenges. Um, and um, that is the time and moment 
when we um, meet our certain inner archetypes as well um, and outer ones also and we are actually tested on our qualities our human qualities and how we exercise our divine will and divine will eventually takes you or simultaneously taking you to your memories past present and future um, so there is there is a lot to be said for uh, programs initiations offerings that are actually offering you the opportunity to be challenged um, you know whether it's a metaphysical or physical depending on the nature you need and where you are um, in your in yourself and in your individual journey um, these these quests are very very powerful and they are life-changing if you surrender to the process of them um, and allow the runes, the stories, the archetypes to speak through you in a way. Um, and, you, you know, take those decisions that you make within, on, on the quest uh, seriously. Um, so this uh, initiation with the Seven Grail Guardians will be available through the Avalon Academy. Um, and for those who will be called to join the, um, the runic path, there will also be a, a self-study program uh, working with the runes that Jeremy and Kelly will be offering that you can access through the Avalon Academy um, in our collaborations. So I'm really excited to welcome you both um, at the Academy and um, I hope we're going to have many wonderful quests together, amending the fairy accord and uh, weaving the web and remembering and also creating perhaps a more profound, more powerful um, or healed future together. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you on board. Bless you. Yeah, beautiful. And thank you, anyone, for tuned in. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I will share all the information that you need uh, in order to join this program um, with this video as well. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you.